Good morning and welcome to the Presbyterian Church on Edisto Island. It is a joy for me to welcome you this morning and to have you here worshiping with us. We love to have visitors, also, of course, members, but I want to take the opportunity to recognize any new members, that, um, new visitors that we may have, first-time visitors this morning. If you would hold your hand up, we have a little welcome bag that will give you some information for our from our church. So do we have any first-time visitors? Seeing none, thank you and welcome. It's great to have all of you here with us. Should you need it, there's a restroom in this corner back under the stairwell. <clears throat> there are friendship registers in each of the pews at the end to let us know of your presence with us. Please sign and pass that along to your neighbors in your pew. If you're visiting with us, there is a space for you to leave your contact information and we'll gladly be in touch with you. So please use the welcome. The nursery is over in the ministry center and welcomes children ages six and under at any time during the service this morning. And the flowers this morning are given to the glory of God by Ron and Linda Scroggy in celebration of their 45th wedding anniversary. So congratulations, Ron and Linda. This Wednesday from 5 to 7 p.m. is our fall festival. This event is for everyone, so you're invited to come. We have invited the community to come and, and visit with us. We still need, and there's a sign-up sheet on the front porch of uh, volunteers to help with games and activities to uh, and to provide a trunk and that can either be the back of an SUV or the trunk of your car which uh, you will decorate and fill with treats 
for the children of our com community to go trunk and treating. Please contact Chris or Ron Scroggie or click the, click the link in the flash to sign up. We hope everyone will attend this event and be welcome to it. Fresh Express returns to our parking lot this Thursday, beginning at 1 p.m. Bring a reusable bag and get some free groceries. You can help with the distribution. If you can, please speak to Bonnie Geary or Brenda Barnes. Please check the flash on Tuesday morning uh, for more information on these and other upcoming events. And a note, if you're not getting the flash, please let the church office know so we can make sure you're on the email list. It goes out every week. And now I invite our treasurer, Sam Plexico, to come up and, uh, with a special announcement. Sam. Thanks, Jim. Good morning. Yes, that time of the year again. We're asking for money. <laughs> uh, apologize for having to do this every year, but it's kind of essential operation of the church. Um, I don't know if you received your letter in the mail that was mailed Friday. The Postal Service may have delivered it yesterday, but it'll certainly be there today. But everyone here should have gotten one. Um, our theme for stewardship this year is Rise Up. Uh, it's an Andrea Day song, and the verse goes like this. And I'll rise up. I'll rise up like today. I'll rise up. I'll rise up unafraid. I'll rise up, and I'll do it a thousand times again. I think that's very appropriate for what we're attempting to do this year. Um, as I mentioned, you should have received your letter. Enclosed in that letter is a copy of the budget. I have copies up here if anyone would like to see one. It's what we call our wish budget, what we think we're going to need to operate for the next year. Um, a time and talent survey, which is very important. We need for you to complete that so we can you know, get volunteers to help out in the church. Certainly would appreciate it if you would complete that and your pledge card. Next Sunday is Consecration Sunday, and we need for you to bring your time and talent and your pledge card next Sunday. It's going to be a big day, so we look forward to doing that. Um, as to the budget, when you get it, you'll see that we're, we're increasing the budget for next year. Um, we have a lot of great things going on here at the church. We're growing. Our expenses are up due to the growth, and as you know, we're living in inflationary times. We're projecting about a $70,000 increase in our budget for the coming year. We've got some you know, pretty big expenses that are coming up. Um, like I said, if you'd like to see a copy of it, I have them right here. Be happy to give you some after church. Need for you to do a few things, if you would. Consider your pledge. Please pledge. It's important that we have an idea of how much money we're going to have to operate on for the next year. Um, complete the time and talent survey. We need you to help with the church. It's, it's better when everyone's involved, as you well know. And lastly, please pray for our church and its growth. Together, we will all rise up. Thank you.
Now let us attune our hearts to worship as we listen to the prelude prayer. Please stand and join me in the call to worship, which you find in your bulletin. We are called by God to be a people of prayer. But today, the people of prayer. Come, let us worship and pray together. Please bow your heads for our opening prayer. Mighty God, we come into your powerful presence with hope in our hearts and prayer on our lips. May we pray with the same focus and strength with which you receive our prayers. Flow through our words and our worship this day that we may discover a childlike trust even as we mature in faith. Amen. Please remain standing as we sing hymn number 403, What a Friend We Have in Jesus and it's printed in your bulletin.
Please be seated. Despite our best efforts to live faithfully, we fall short of what God intends for us because God has already promised to be merciful. We have the confidence then to dare to tell the truth about our lives. Therefore, in humility and trust, let us confess our sin together. Faithful God, when our prayers are absent, speak to us and return our attention to you. When our prayers and attitudes are self-serving, humble us and bring us back to compassionate and caring ways. God of faith and God of glory, give us confidence when our faith falters. Empower us with your spirit that we may pray with confidence and faith and with tenacity and courage all the days of our lives. May we pray now in silence. Amen. If an unjust judge will listen to the pleas of a persistent widow, how much more will our compassionate God listen to us when we pray? God hears your prayers and answers with mercy and grace. God's answer imprints love on our very hearts. In this mercy and grace, we are given forgiveness, help, and sustenance. Receive these gifts and rejoice. Thanks be to God. Let us stand now. seated. Please bow your heads for our prayer of illumination. Eternal God, you remain constant through all our striving and patient with all our prayers. We seek your wisdom and crave your blessing for our own sakes and for the sake of the world. By the power of the Holy Spirit, illumine our reading and hearing of your holy word. 
For we ask it in the name of Christ, who prays with us. Amen. Please listen to our Old Testament reading, which comes from Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 31. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God.
Let us hear once again God's word to us from the book that we love. Reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, excuse me, in that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my accuser. For a while he refused. But later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant them justice. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you alone, who is our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I'm sure you've picked up by now that the theme of our worship today is the power of prayer, and specifically the power of persistence and tenacity in prayer, as shown in Jacob's persistence there by the river Jabbok, and then in Jesus's parable about the persistent widow. I want to start this morning by looking at the Old Testament story first, to looking at Jacob. This is a strange story, and I'm not doing you any favors this morning by kind of just plopping you down right smack in the middle of it. In Genesis, the saga of Jacob begins way back in chapter 25 with his mother, Rebecca, who was barren. Isaac, it says, prayed to God, and she conceived, and the text says that the children, quote, struggled together within her womb, so much so that Rebecca wished to die. Why do I live, she pleaded. We'll get back to that part of the story in a little bit, but the story finally concludes at the very end of Genesis, chapter 50, in Egypt with Jacob and then his 12 sons reunited after many, many, many misadventures. Jacob, in his old age, blesses each of his sons. Notice, not one, but each of his sons declares them the 12 tribes of Israel. And there in chapter 50, Jacob dies in Egypt land. Joseph takes his bones back to Mamre, where Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah are already buried. But remember the families of Jacob, those 12 tribes live on in Egypt prepping us for the story of Exodus. 
So from chapter 25 through chapter 50, it's quite a story. And Jacob, well, he's quite a character. As we read through his saga, you can't help but like him. He is, after all, one of the big three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a triad that's only surpassed by the big one, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So he's got some clout, but he's also kind of a scoundrel. Remember, even at the beginning, he struggles with his own brother in his mother's womb. Commentary Jason Michelli says it this way. He says, when he was yet unborn, Jacob, who later wrestles God in the dark along the riverbank, for nine months wrestles his twin brother in the dark waters of his mother's womb. And when she gives birth to them, Esau first, the younger comes out clutching at the leg of his elder as if to say, no, me first. So Rebecca names him Jacob. You've got a note there in your bulletin with the Hebrew lettering of the name Jacob. In Hebrew, it's pronounced Yachakov. And we know in the Bible that names are significant, and they often become a sign or a symbol of something bigger. So you can see there in your bulletin that Jacob literally means heel grabber, and that is not meant to be flattering. But it does pretend the character of Jacob, because you see in Hebrew, heel grabber is kind of a nickname, a colloquial phrase that can also mean hustler, overreacher, trickster, and yes, scoundrel. How'd you like to name your son scoundrel? Well, look at Jacob. He overreaches his birthright, stealing that which belongs to his brother Esau. He hustles his uncle Laban. Remember, he puts all those good sheep and goats to the side so he can take them later. So he hustles his uncle Laban to get what he wants, eventually taking all of his wives and all of his flocks with him, stealing away at night. And now, by the river, he will not give up. He will not back down, and he demands a blessing rather than earning it, right? I do like Jacob, but when we read this story at face value, I'm not sure I have much of a right to. And that becomes especially true when we turn back just before our passage today and we read the prayer of Jacob just before this encounter. Remember, Jacob, in this story so far, has left the home of Laban, his uncle. He's cheated his way out of that situation, only to find himself now in peril at the hands of his twin brother Esau, whom he also cheated, by the way. Messengers have come to Jacob and told him that Esau, along with 500 men, excuse me, 400 men strong, are coming towards Jacob's camp. 
and cunning Jacob, trickster Jacob, acts first. He quickly divides his family into two camps. He divides his possessions with them, hoping to save at least half of what he has should Esau attack. He then commissions a relatively nice gift to be sent on ahead, hoping to appease Esau with goats and lambs and camels and cows. And then finally, just in case these plans don't work out, he sits down to pray. And it's not a prayer of confession for all of his conniving. It's not even a prayer asking for forgiveness, especially from his brother whom he had wronged. Though you can read, there's a little hint of remorse in it. This prayer that's also in chapter 32, beginning at verse 9, can be summed up by as of yet another hustle, this time hustling God. Because he says this essentially, he says, God, you better stand by me. You better protect me against my enraged brother and keep us from death because don't forget it, God. You, yes, you made a promise saying that the offspring of Abraham will be countless. So do what you said you were going to do despite any of my shortcomings. That's the prayer. Well, then Jacob lays down to rest, albeit probably with one eye open. Says he's alone there by the river. Remember, he sent all of his people and all of his possessions on ahead to prepare for this siege. And now comes this strange part of the story when he struggles with this mysterious figure until daybreak. And in this struggle, Jacob demands a blessing. And he's tenacious, so much so that he gets that blessing along with a broken hip and a new name. Now, if you can remember from the story, when Jacob was on the run from his brother the first time after he had stolen Esau's birthright, Jacob lays down and has a dream. And in this dream, there was a ladder from earth up to heaven, and he sees angels of God ascending and descending upon its steps. With this vision, Jacob hears the voice of God relaying again this promise of Abraham that his descendants, it says, will be as many as the dust of the earth and that God will be with them. Jacob wakes from this dream, names that place Bethel, which means house of God, and goes on his way to cheat and lie with his uncle Laban. Nothing else is said of the story or done with the story. But now it's many years later, and we circle back to the prayer that I mentioned. Jacob is so forthright in holding God to God's promise. And then even in his action, in that struggle, Jacob is tenacious to see it through 
to that final blessing. And while that might make Jacob look like he still deserves his given name, heel grabber, and paints him once again as a scoundrel. He's going to get what he wants no matter what the cost. I think that this passage is showing us, as he walks away battered and bruised, is that that vision that he had long ago, and yes, even all of those blunders in life that he went through, I think it shows us insight into the power of prayer, not according to Jacob, but according to the presence of God, not dependent upon Jacob's merit. I'm sure you've heard this. It's a common religious phrase of reassurance to say that God never gives you more than you can handle, right? God never gives us more than you can handle. That phrase brings us quite a bit of reassurance. It brings us comfort to know that despite any of our faults or despite any circumstances we may find ourselves in, that we will overcome them ultimately because God generously makes us stronger than these situations. Sounds nice, but I hate to tell you, that is not a biblical promise. And nowhere in scripture will you find that phrase. In fact, if you think about it, it's rather contrary to the gospel. Though I'm sure you've probably heard it as gospel truth. God will not give you anything that you cannot handle. The reality and what we do find in Scripture over and over again, the reality is that because of sin, there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. This is what John Calvin called total depravity. By ourselves, if given the choice, without the help of Christ, we will always choose what is evil that's total depravity. And let's just think about Jacob again for just a minute. Like Jacob, how many of us have ever lied to our mother or father? Like Jacob, how many of us have ever wronged a sibling or a friend and then sat idly by as they wandered out of our lives? Like Jacob, how many of us have betrayed someone or returned a good deed for a petty one? How many of us have turned to God as a last resort, having exhausted all the other things that are within our control and then tried to strike a deal rather than submit ourselves? I know I've said a few of those God, I promise I will just fill in the blank. If only you will just fill in the blank. Those prayers are powerful for us. It's likely that all of us share some things in common with this heel grabber. Because as Paul says, all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. 
in our total depravity, we must then rely not on our own abilities to overcome sin, but we must then rely on that irresistible grace that is a gift from God. And that grace, that good news, as Jacob found to be true, is that God doesn't reside way up top of that ladder, far, far away, nor is God just simply sitting up there waiting for us, for us to have the strength on ourselves to climb the rungs and meet him there. No, what Jacob found is that God's grace, the good news, is that the ladder, that's not there for our journey. It's there as a symbol showing us that God comes down to us. God meets us where we are. Again, Michelle puts it this way. He says, God, Jacob learns, is like a judge who's willing to condescend to the appearance even of a bad judge in order to relent to a widow's annoying pleading. It is good news, Jacob finds, that God meets us in the very midst of that which we cannot handle by ourselves. Martin Luther, who's one of our other great reformers, said that we all are addicted to what he called the glory story. He says that we're hardwired by sin to imagine that God is far off, way out in heaven, and God is doling out rewards to those who in faith step closer and closer to God. But God is also giving out reprimands to those who mess up, to those who slip back down a rung or two, as it were. And this glory story, I think, is what prompts those unhelpful questions or cliches like, God will never give you more than you can handle. Who's found that to be true? As Jacob instead found, that glory story is backwards. Us climbing toward God rather than God coming back to us. Blessing, then, is not far off. Blessing finds us right here, even in the midst of struggle. Now, all of this Old Testament story becomes the backdrop for what Luke shares today, and specifically what Jesus teaches about prayer. Jesus seems to insist that unlike a persistent widow who finally wears down this rotten politician, God will not delay. In fact, God will hear our petitions. And doesn't it say God will grant justice? Without, without delay. God will grant justice without delay. All that sounds great until we have a prayer or petition that seemingly goes unanswered. I can tell you that some of those prayers I've offered up, God, I promise I'll just 
fill in the blank, if you only just fill in the blank, some of those went seemingly unanswered. But remember, Jesus begins this parable by saying, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Kimberly Bracken Long says that if the Son of Man is to find faith on earth, we must understand that our prayers do not constitute so many unanswered pleas. Rather, prayers are our participation in the coming reign of God. By praying continually and not giving up hope, we live in the surety that God will not abandon this world. So in this sense, we find blessing in aligning ourselves with God who condescends to us. If we were going to have, if we had children here this morning, I was going to ask them what was the one thing above everything else that they wanted. And we were going to have a prayer for that, and I can only imagine what their answers would have been. But we would pray, and then I was going to ask the question, did you get it? Do you have what you prayed for? Because often the case is that when we pray those prayers asking for something we want, we don't get the immediate result. But we do ask for what we need. And yes, we do share God, share with God every situation and even ask for what we want. Yet ultimately, when we are called to enter that sweet hour of prayer that calls us from a world of care to place where we can, that place where we can lay aside the glory story and trust securely in God's grace, that takes faith to do that. Just like we pray every time in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done. Jesus asks at the end of this parable, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith? Entering into prayer, calling us away from the world of care and laying aside that glory story, trusting then securely in God's grace, that's faith, that trust in God. And Jesus makes it clear that we should not give up hope. We should not lose heart. Because through our prayers, aligning with the God who meets us in our struggles like Jacob, we anticipate the coming reign of God. And because of this, we never relent in our prayers, even if they seemingly go unanswered. We never relent in our prayers for others, or for the world, or even for ourselves and our own desires. For there is blessing that we find in that sweet hour of prayer. So I asked you to consider at the top of the worship hour found on the front page of your bulletin, 
What is prayer to you? How do you pray? When do you pray? Whether your story resembles that of Jacob's or even maybe the persistent widow, you can count on God to hear you and in your tenacity define God's blessing through prayer and like Jacob forever be changed. May it be so. Amen. We are bold to respond to the world in faith as together we stand and affirm our faith using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. For our prayers for the people this morning, I'm going to insert several moments of silence. I'll give you a prompt and allow you to um, engage with God through your own private prayers and devotions. So let us go now together in prayer. God of justice, in Jesus Christ, you teach us to pray always and do not lose heart. And so, yes, we come to you in prayer with all of our hearts open. We pray for your children who suffer under oppressive rulers and greedy tycoons. We pray for all who suffer injustice. Hear now our prayers. We pray for your church, your church thriving, and your church that is torn asunder by mistrust or pride. We pray for the people that are a part of this community of faith. We offer you now these prayers. We pray for those who have no water. We pray for those who have water, but it is too dirty to drink. We pray for those who go to bed hungry and wake each morning with empty stomachs. 
We pray for those who struggle to believe. And we pray for those who seek a blessing. We pray for those who are bound by anxiety or depression, loneliness or fear. We pray for the sick and all who care for them. And we pray for those who will die this night. And we pray for all whose burdens that we carry in our hearts, who we name to you now in this silence. All these prayers we offer with thanksgiving through the power of your own spirit. For we know that you hear us when we pray, and your desire is that we be made whole. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer and Lord, we join our voices now together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Even as God invites us to bring our needs in prayer, God also invites us to bring our gifts into the service of the church for the needs of the world. Let us bring our gifts with as much tenacity and courage as we bring our prayers before God. We receive our morning's offering.
Mighty God, we pray that you bestow your power and strength on these gifts we return to you now. Multiply them as they go forth to serve your church and your world. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Our closing hymn is What a Fellowship, What a Joy Divine, although I've always known it as Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. It can be found on the back page of your bulletin. Let us sing to the glory of God. Friends, as people of prayer, go now to live your prayers. As people of faith, go now to live your faith. And as people of love, go now to live in love, knowing that the mighty blessing of the one triune God who hears us and knows us will be with us until the end. Amen.